I'm speaking today with the author John Conshaw. John Conshaw is a science fiction and fantasy author from Wolverhampton, known for his epic fantasy Ravenglass Chronicles series and post-apocalyptic Wasteland series. Based in Morecambe, John has a PhD in the history of art, having focused on the life and work of the American sculptor Jake Repstein. And he has also written for local and national newspapers across the UK. His latest book, which has just been released, is titled Black Death Survival, a post-apocalyptic thriller set in various locations across England and Wales that find themselves enveloped by a resurgence of the killer plague. Thanks for joining us on the Black Country Talking News, John. Hey, nice to meet you. Great to be here. Great to have you. And would you say that biography uh, covers everything or have I missed anything important that uh, you know, you'd like to uh, It doesn't cover everything, but I mean, it's a few lines, isn't it? But I think you've got the main bits, yeah. The um, Black, De- Black Death is the new one and then, yeah, Wasteland series, I did that. There's also a series I did called Blind Gambit, which is about visual impairment and video games and things like that. So, yeah, I think that's, that's pretty thorough. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks for adding that. I, I didn't actually, um, I haven't actually come across that other series you mentioned. What was that again, the name of that one? It's, it's called Blind Gambit. So I, I did a book that was about me basically coming to terms with uh, visual impairment and also, it's a bit of a love letter to video games that I love growing up. So, bit of a weird one. Doesn't sell very well. Is that where you get a lot of your inspiration from? Just the sort of your everyday experiences? Or you know, where, where do you find your inspiration from for your work? Yeah, I mean, I, I love actually getting out there. And I think you, you miss a lot of stuff. if Because now a lot of authors just do research online or in books or whatever. I find I've come up with my best ideas from going and have a look around a ship. You know, going, exploring a castle, um, looking in a museum, finding out little details, getting a feel for places. Like, everywhere feels different in terms of just how the air is. And you're not, you're not going to get that in a book, you know. You're not going to get that looking at a YouTube video. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, like, this is the thing I have missed with this pandemic is, is I feel like mm. I'm a bit, bit of a drought creatively at the minute because I haven't been able to do that properly. Um, I've not been able to go and explore and, and just look around all these places. So I'm hoping that, you know, as this thing kind of gets better, that I can get back into that again and get some more new ideas. So you're, so you're one for absorbing sort of environments and ideas and, and, and um, places to get your ideas rather than necessarily planning out, you know, very point to point when you're planning your works. I, I mean, I do, I, do pl- I do plot, I do plan, um, but I need to, like... I know a lot of writers that write down every idea that they get. I don't. I go with the ideas that are sticky. If something, if I can't shake something in my head, I think, okay, there's something there with that character or that place or something like that. Um, like I, I did a book called Wizard of the Wasteland, which is the first one in my Wasteland series. And the idea for that came to me in a dream, which sounds a bit cliche, but I had this dream about this guy pretending to be a wizard, kind of showing off um, kind of, pre-full technology and claiming it's magic and that was the start for this series mm. and so li- little things like that where i can't shake the idea that's what i'll get into that's what i start writing and then i'll come up with ideas from that i mean this fan- last fantasy series i wrote called the ravenglass chronicles that was uh i i had i saw it a bit like you know like a concept album like a prog rock band might have done in the 70s of like, I want to do a series of books that is based on every card in the Major Arcana of the Tarot. So I did yeah. a 21-book series that was, each of the cards were, uh, I kind of drew from 
the imagery and the ideas in each card to kind of inform what the story was and where it'd go and things like that. So, yeah, it's just, I think it's all around you. The ideas are all around you and you've just, you've just got to kind of pay attention and, and be open to it. And I think when you are, you start noticing more and more details and things. So, yeah. Yes, definitely. I mean, I've, I've always found that myself, you know, being open to experience and being open to not, not putting up artificial walls and just allowing ideas to flow over you is, is, is tends to be for me as well. And I'm doing creative practice as well. tends to be the way to, the way to go forward as well. You, you, you said you do plot and plan, but I find in my own work, I, I cannot, I cannot do that. I have to be even more sort of free flowing, but you know, everyone has their own um, ways of doing things. And it, it's fascinating to always hear how people come up with their ideas. Um, it's funny you mentioned the dream idea that you can't, yeah, you had an idea come by a dreams. Cause you know, I've, I, again, myself, it's not about me, but um, I myself had loads of ideas come that way. And it's really hard to sort of express that to people that aren't necessarily creative, that that's the way ideas arrive. There's no strict, I mean, I'm sure you agree, I'm sure that there's no strict way you can get to an idea. It just has to bubble up and become a form, almost magic. Yeah. Well, I think, I think there is. I think there's some like, you know, I think it was Freud who talked about the idea of our unconscious mind it's like most most of what we're aware of is just a little bit of what is actually going on. And I find that, you know, this, when you have an idea or trouble, the, the phrase is sleep on it, you know, you, you sleep on it and then you can come up with a better idea or whatever. And I think that is to do with the idea that our imaginations are, are kind of powered by sleep. And when we've not got the everyday conscious thing going on in our brains, we can kind of get out our own way and then, new ideas come and new connections are made and things like that. And that's, that's where the interesting stuff happens. That's where the magic happens. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I totally agree with that. Um, I wanted to ask us, what was your first early um, experiences with literature, your first sort of engagement with it? Can you, have you got any memories of like that? Uh, yeah. I mean, for me growing up, I mean, we didn't have a lot of money in my house, but books are always there. Um, I have distinct memories of my dad, you know, when he'd get paid from working at Lawnmower Shop in Bilston, he'd come back and he'd buy me a Thomas the Tank Engine book. So he'd bring those home and then we'd read them. Um, and then getting a bit older, you know, rolled all books, just like really loving The Witches and um, The Iron Man by Ted Hughes and um, Chronicles of Narnia. Like The Lion, the Witch in the Wardrobe, I think, is probably why I'm writing fantasy today. Yeah, you know I mean, that, that book just had a massive impact on me. Um, yeah. And ju- just the fact that you can you can tell these stories that are, you know, that, I don't know how you put it, it's like they, even though they're in these fantasy worlds, there's like a real truth to them. Do you know what I mean? It's something like a, a yeah, deeper yeah. level of truth than just what's around us. So, um, and that's that's all that's always struck me that, you know, these these stories seem almost more real than reality. That makes sense. Yeah, no, exactly. Because, um, you know, science fiction and fantasy as a whole is sort of where ideas are explored, um, I find. And, so I was going to ask you on, on that on that sort of point, actually. What, why is it that you think that that genre gets disparaged generally by sort of like literary sort of elites, as it were? Because science fiction and fantasy is, you know, it's popular. It's very popular, but nevertheless, it's, you know, not taken necessarily as, you know, seriously as it, well, personally, I think. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's not for those people. That's the thing. I, I don't think you can take any uh, any genre of anything and go, that's a good genre, that's a bad genre. You know, it's like there's great stuff in every genre. There's yeah. a lot of bad stuff in every genre. And I think the people who dismiss anything, you know, that says to me more about them than anything else. Like I, I don't 
I don't distinguish between a book by uh, what Kurt Vonnegut and um, you know Ian McEwan or something. I, th- I think they're both great novelists who do yeah. really good things, but they're they're doing different things for different people. And it's like you you for me anyway. I I like to write for my readers. I don't write for me like I did when I first started. It was like it was about my ego and the stuff was rubbish. You know what I mean? It was rubbish. And then when yeah. I started thinking about, okay, what is entertaining? What do people like? What would entertain me? And then thinking about it as almost like a service. You know what I mean? Um, that's when I started to have people like my stuff. That's when people started buying my stuff. And now I do this full time. And I've been able to do that because I listen to readers and I, I, I try and write for them rather than for me. So, yeah, going back to your thing, it's like, who cares what who cares what the genre is? It's like, there's great stories in every genre, there's bad stories in every genre. And if you've got a problem with that, that's that's your problem, not the readers. Yeah, definitely. Um, not much more I can say on that, really. I think you've covered that really well. <laughs> I was going to say, so going back to your sort of first um, sort of experiences with literature again, I was just going to ask, was you a frequent sort of visitor to local libraries? And you know, how, do you, how do you feel about the sort of the conditions of libraries at the moment? I, I'm a passionate lover of libraries. I think libraries were great when I was growing up. Um, as I say, we didn't have a lot of money, but I could always get to a library and get a book out. I think libraries are just... The, the, it's difficult at the minute just because of the pandemic stuff, but I think libraries need to do more to help communities. I think they're a community hub, yeah. and I think they should be doing more to um, encourage future writers and to support local writers, even if these writers aren't contracted to a corporate publisher, or even if it's someone who's written a memoir who doesn't even intend on publishing it. I think seeking those writers out, engaging with them, becoming something more than just a place where they'll look on a catalogue and go, oh, sorry, you, your book's not in our catalogue. You know, there's, there's more imagination, I think, that's needed with it. Um, but I think they're just so necessary and so important. And that, that's kind of why I get a bit passionate about libraries, to be honest. <laughs> well, yeah, I think that is the case, making them more community hubs and being more focused on that and just being necessarily a place for catalogue for books. Because then, you know, with the current sort of issue, the current market with Amazon and the way that they, they dominate the book market and, uh, you know, other major book chains, the library, you know, there could be an argument saying, oh, we don't need libraries anymore because um, people can access books easily at home now. As you as, as you've forward, maybe yeah, the community hub aspect is the bit which needs to be sort of focused on a bit more. Uh, yeah, well, I, re- I remember I used to go to the Long Knoll Library in Wolverhampton, and you know I used to be able to go and uh, book the Amstrad CPC four six four for half an oh, hour yes. and play on that. I mean, it'd take most time would be loading the game, but of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I still get to play on it, and and you know the do Lego clubs and things like that in our local libraries in Morecambe. So. Little things like that, where you're giving more to the community, I think. I think that's that's the future libraries. I think that you know, um, being places where people can go and it, it not be about just the books. Um, what, what I didn't mention earlier in the bio, in the biography was that um, you have uh, sight loss, and yeah, what I wanted to ask was. When you're at libraries, did you find that they were able to sort of serve you better, basically help you with that condition while you're there, have, have the right resources for you to sort of be able to still engage with the literary world? Um, 
Well, for me, it, I mean, the condition I've got is called retinitis pigmentosa, which I'm sure a few of your listeners will be familiar with. And yeah. it's progressive. So when I was a teenager and, you know, a kid, I, I didn't notice it. I didn't really right. have it. Yeah. Um, so this has progressed. I mean, now I've got, I mean, my left eye is just shot and I've got about 5% in my right eye, central vision. Um, so I can't read stuff anymore in print. So a lot of my reading is either done on a Kindle or through audio. I mean, I, I devour audio books. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the, the, because libraries are now doing things with things like Overdrive and BorrowBox and things like that, there is the opportunity now for um, kind of visually impaired users to get access to things that they might not have been able to access before. Uh, but yeah, I just think I just think you know there's probably some work that needs doing. Um, you know, maybe I mean I've, I've I've never enjoyed large print books, so I don't know whether mm. I'm the only one. <laughs> you know, maybe a lot of people do. I don't know, um, but I think in because like with the RNIB stuff, the way that used to be, um, you know, you'd get a player and things like that. So maybe there's a an opportunity there for libraries to maybe do a bit more to engage with the audio side or. Uh, different formats and things like that to make it easier. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's it's a difficult one because I think that there's so many different disabilities and impairments that there can be. There, you know, you can't necessarily cater to everyone in a in a quality way. And I think that you know something like the R and IB do it really well. So yeah, you know, yeah. maybe they just need to direct. Like I didn't hear about the R and IB stuff through the libraries, and maybe that should be a thing that they mention. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah, get some more outreach to let the libraries know what other services there are for people. Yeah. yeah. Connected charities a bit more so they can sort of pass that message on so that, that, you know, people aren't isolated or, or disconnected just because, yeah. uh, you know, that sight loss condition. Um, I was going to ask you about audiobooks. Do you, are, your, are your books put into audiobook form? Do you record those yourself or do you have someone else record those? I do not record them myself. No. Um, I've got a professional, you know, or, any books that I've got an audio book of have used professional narrators. Um, the only ones I've got so far are my Wasteland books. And let me think. The Black Death Survivor one is, is in production at the moment, but I don't know when that will be coming out. Um, now, with my Ravenglass set, I want to get an audio thing done of that, but it's massive. It's like 400,000 words. Mm. So I need to either get it through a traditional corporate publisher like Podium or Tantor or somewhere like that, or I need to get enough together to produce it. And that might mean doing a Kickstarter or crowdfunding because, you know, it's usually some, somewhere in the region of 300 to $400 per finished hour. Yeah. So I think that'll be about 40 hours. So yeah, that's going to be a lot of money. <laughs> Yeah, it can't be easy trying to get audiobooks to as a you know independent indie author because, as you say, the financial sort of uh, cost to that. But then, as you say, the fact that there is crowdfunding now, at least there's hope that you know yeah. you get more of your sort of work. And there is like the option I I use for my books is is I have a royalty split with the narrator, so we could, we got it set up so that you know ACX, which is a company that does it, automatically pays both of us. So. Yeah, it's it's actually quite easy, but obviously, 
half the money is going to the narrator, which yeah, when, yeah. when you're advertising and things like that, that kind of makes it more difficult to make a profit. Mm, of course, yeah. Um, can, can you get on yourself with sort of AI voices and sort of artificial voices reading, like voiceover um, apps when it comes to you know, listening to a long-form piece of work? Or I know some people aren't necessarily, can't necessarily, don't feel the emotion coming through, obviously, an AI voice, which is, you know, understandable. Yeah, I, I find I have no problem listening to nonfiction with a robot voice, but when yeah. it comes to fiction, it, I can't, it's, it's not there yet. Just loses that sort of warmth that you get from a sort of real human voice doing it. Yeah, yeah, and especially, especially I mean, there's an audiobook I listened to recently, which is called Piranesi by Suzanne Clark, and that is oh, the yeah. best, best audiobook performance I've ever heard. And because of the voice acting in that, it took it, took it to another level. And uh, it's the same with, what was it, Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut's Slaughterhouse Five. Like the audio book of that is uh, narrated by Ethan Hawke. And the way he does it, um, there's a phrase that repeats throughout, which is, so it goes. So if something dies or, um, you know, there's something tragic happens, there's just, and so it goes. But the way he says that every time, it's a little bit of a different intonation, different tone, and it just gives it a new meaning, which if it was read by a, you know, an AI thing, you wouldn't get that. So I'm, yeah, I'm all for good narration, for sure. Well, yeah, I was going to say, have you noticed, I don't know how, what, what your sort of historical experiences of audiobooks are, but with a growing interest in them at the moment, and you know, loads of celebrities trying to get involved. Have you noticed that then, that the audio recording quality um, has got better over, over time? Yes, definitely. And it's really hard to listen to some of the audio books that were, uh, let's say, produced in the mid to late 90s that just that they were obviously recorded for tape and yeah. they, they just don't, I don't know, just the quality isn't there. And the one that bugs me is, is Lord of the Rings. They've still not produced a new audio book of that since the 90s, and it, it sounds terrible. Um, so, yeah, I'm hoping that... Well, you'd have, you'd have thought someone would have done that one by now. Cause, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it must just be a licensing and rights issue or something like that. But, yeah, it needs it needs doing. And, yeah, so when I, when I hear the older audio books, um, I mean, yeah, they're, they're fine, but I think we, we're almost like in a golden age of audio at the moment. I think there's some really good quality, like just the best quality stuff coming out at the moment, really good voice actors and uh, really a, good quality mics and things. So, yeah. And it's amazing the amount of sort of amateurs that you get doing it, that are doing it at really high quality off their own back, you know, in, in podcast forms or even doing their own sort of literature, just uh, direct a podcast. Yeah, I think of um, Welcome to Night Vale podcast comes to mind in particular. But I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah, like Scott Sigler does a lot of that stuff as well. And yeah, really good. Um, so if we come to your uh, latest release, uh, Black Death Survival, that, that seems to clearly rip off the current world, real world experience of the pandemics and the current ongoing situation of COVID-19. Um, had the idea that the story existed prior to the current pandemic or was it very much inspired by you know, the current lockdown experience we've all had to go through over the past couple of years? Okay, I wrote, I wrote this book, most of it in, what was it, October November 2017. Um, so it started off as a collaborative trilogy with two other authors. And the idea was is we'd write this gritty post-apocalyptic thing set in the UK and 
I wrote my contribution to it. I think I'd finished, yeah, by the end of 2017. And then the one of the co-authors ghosted us for a while. Again, oh, uh, yeah, it's coming, it's coming. Never arrived. And then, so me and the second co-author, we scrambled to make it right. And, you know, we added loads of scenes and did stuff. And then he, because of everything going on in his life, he ended up pulling out. And then with 2020, just, yeah, it just didn't work. So, you know, I was dragged along basically for a few years with this book. This should have been coming out several years ago as a trilogy. And instead, I got all the stuff that I did for it, rewrote it and did a fresh edit and everything. And then it does seem a bit creepy now going back to it, Um, just how close some of the things are and how there's a lot of craziness in there. And it's like, is that like I thought that was crazy at the time? And now looking at how things have gone, it's like, is that actually that crazy? I don't know. No, absolutely. I mean, I've read about probably three quarters of it so far, and I'm going to probably finish reading the rest of it later tonight. And uh, one thing I pick up very much on it is there's very much a claustrophobic sort of feel to it, which very much echoes the sort of lockdown situation that we had. And as, as you said, you wrote that in uh, 2017. That's very sort of, as you say, prescient to sort of why most people sort of felt around 2020, if not necessarily the exact themes that obviously go on in the exact story yeah. in the novel. The, the feeling certainly seems to be sort of on the money. Yeah, I did a um, kind of a spin-off story, like a shorter novella called Black Death London. And that, for me, is just too close to the bow. And that's, that, that's too chilling. I don't like Because <laughs> that's set around a, um, what is it, a shadow health minister trying to use the pandemic as a way to seize power. And oh, right. <laughs> it's just, it's just like I wrote it as a bit of a, I wanted something a bit like the thick of it meets the walking dead. Oh yes. Yeah. You know, I used to uh, be a political reporter and ended up working for a shadow politician. So it's given me some great ammunition for that story. So it feels, feels too real. Maybe it's just because of my experience, but well, <laughs> yeah. well, again, as you said, that's getting as much as you can from your, from your real life to sort of enter your fiction, but too real by the sounds of it. So, um, yeah, it sounds very interesting. It sounds just exactly the sort of thing I would personally like to read. So, um, I think, uh, I think that'll be it then today, John. So, uh, thanks for speaking to us today. And um, if people want to find out more about you and your latest works, where can they do that? Um, you could go to johncronshaw.com. That's J-O-N-C-R-O-N-S-H-A-W. Um, I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash johncronshawauthor. Um, you can also find my YouTube channel, which is YouTube dot com slash c slash john cronshaw author and for audio listeners i do a weekly author diary podcast so if you just search for john cronshaw's author diary or every listen to podcasts you'll be able to find it yeah. there now so that is a great podcast i've been listening to it myself and then um, i look forward to uh, hearing more from that so uh, thanks for having you on the uh, thanks for having you on the black country talking news john it's been great to hear from you thank you and uh, yeah good luck good luck with the show Cheers, thank you very much.